Josh prophesied last week that the Lord is pouring new wine on this body and that for some, it's going to cause them to burst, but for some, it's going to cause us to be stretched. And I feel like today, all week this week, if you're in the group chat, I said this probably 700 times, that the Lord today is going to be restoring some wineskins. I truly, truly believe it. Um, this is more, this message right here, if you're watching online from somewhere else, I'm sorry, this is personalized for Dream Church, if I'm being honest with you. This is for Dream Church. Uh, you can get some nuggets, I guess, if you're not from Dream Church, but this is for our body, because I believe that what the Lord's doing in our body, this is what we need. Um, so, what we're talking about today, though, is not deeply, deeply theological, so it's not going to be I mean, we, we are going to cover some theological principles, but more I'm going to be shattering some other theological principles. Um, but it's going to be kind of a simple topic. But what I believe what we're talking about today is going to be adding a lot of color to what the Lord's been doing here. Because since last May, I mean, the Lord has been reshaping everything about what we think and how we think and all this. But I believe that the Lord's taking a big bucket of color today and just splashing it on the image. Um, I'm so excited because, like, think about it. Like, what is the sky without the blue color, right? This, what makes the sky beautiful is its blue color. Or think about rainbows. Like, rainbows, they look cool, sure, but when you add the color to them, it's like, oh, my gosh, like, that's, that's the rainbow. Uh, same thing with trees. Like, trees have beautiful shapes, beautiful sizes, cool leaves and stuff, but when you add the green, the reds, the yellows, the oranges, it is just absolutely magnificent. So... Without further ado, I don't want to waste much time because I do have a lot of ground to cover. Today we are talking about wonder. Wonder. So I'm going to pray to start with, but I'm going to actually pray over us a psalm because I believe this psalm is going to be perfect for what we're talking about today. So if everyone wants to bow their heads, we're going to pray and then we're going to dive in. Lord, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens through praises of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than God himself and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim in paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Lord, speak through me this morning. I pray that, that everyone here today, anyone watching online that may be from Dream would receive it the same way you showed me, Lord. That is my prayer, Lord, because you have been wrecking me with this, and I pray that you wreck everyone else here who hears it as well the same way that you wrecked me, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I want to start with a little bit of reading. Um, I want to, because the thing that I've been hit with is like, how did we get to where we are now? How has wonder seem, seem, seemingly slipped away? I can never say that word, seemingly. Is that a word, seemingly? Is that a word? Seemingly, okay. Listen, I, did, I, bar I barely graduated high school, okay? So forgive me. I'm not a scholar by any means. Um, but I wrote out what I call the life cycle of the Western world, like a, a look into a life cycle of the Western world. This may not be everyone's life, so please don't get hung up on all the details. This isn't even entirely my story, but I believe that as a whole, this is the average person in the Western world and maybe give us a picture as to how we got to where we are now. So, Let's go. I want us to start at the beginning of our lives. You've just been born into a world of complete and total mystery, completely ignorant of everything except your normal, primal instincts as a baby. You see the faces of these creatures that you would later find out are mom and dad, and even though you have no clue who or what these things are, you have a sense of trust for them. As your brain develops, you find yourself touching things, you don't really know what this sensation is in your hand. All you know is that you are curious. You feel, you look, you smell, you hear, you taste. All these mysteries becoming more and more familiar as you engage them. After a while, you notice that most people around you are using their feet to move from one place to another. So you think, why don't I give this a shot? You shimmy your way to your feet and you see in front of you your mommy and daddy holding their arms out waiting for you to try. You lift up one foot and wham, you fall. 
While it saddened you for a moment, you decide to try again. You stand to your feet, move one foot in front of the other, wobble for a second, but stabilize. You think, is this it? Am I walking? You try another step, and you fall again. But for some odd reason, Mommy and Daddy are celebrating as though you didn't fall at all. This encouragement pushes you to try again. This time, you walk very slowly until you collapse in Daddy's arms. You have never seen so much joy on Mommy and Daddy's face. They clap, they shout, they embrace you, they kiss you. They are proud of you and make sure that you know it. Fast forward a few years, you find yourself feeling creative. You decide to color in your coloring book. The picture is that of a tiger laying in the wild surrounded by trees, clouds, birds, and other types of wildlife. Hmm, what colors should I use, you may ask. Ooh, I know, I'll color the tiger purple because the tiger loves grapes. And oh yes, I'll color the trees blue because the leaves will be cotton candy. The clouds will be pink because eventually it's going to rain Skittles, of course. You finish this page and you decide to show it to mommy and daddy. You are so nervous, though, because, for some, because your coloring is outside of the lines and the colors that you use didn't really make a lot of sense. However, as soon as you show your mommy and daddy, they leap for joy and embrace you tightly. They put the picture up on the refrigerator and you feel you can literally accomplish anything. You've reached the peak of satisfaction because you know that you made mommy and daddy proud. As you grow a little older, you are walking with daddy outside of the store and notice a giant water puddle. You want to jump in it so badly, but you are scared it will ruin your pants and make daddy upset. You tap on daddy's leg and glance over at the puddle with a smirk on your face. Daddy says, go for it, sweetheart. I'll jump with you. You splash and jump until you are out of breath, not caring at all about those around you, and you see Daddy smile again, which warms your heart even more because you know that Daddy loves you with every part of himself. Fast forward to middle school. You decide to call your Daddy Dad now because it's less embarrassing in front of your friends. You begin to learn and grow your mind to an extraordinary degree. However, the more you learn, the more you rationalize. You come home, and instead of coloring and playing in puddles, you play with your iPad or your phone. You watch your favorite shows and learn what it means to be fun and popular to those around you because of how these fictitious characters are on these shows and videos. You suddenly have a desire to dress differently, not to please yourself or your mom or dad, but to please those around you. Uh, sorry, I lost my place. Uh, those around you who you think will accept you for changing. Little do you realize you start to think that what pleases your friends pleases your father and mother. You think that if you appear or act in a way that would disappoint your friends, it would disappoint mom and dad. Fast forward to high school. I promise I'm almost done with this. And suddenly all childlike wonder becomes irrational. You start to see things the way that they are on the outside. You make sure that your life is coloring within the lines. However, you still have dreams and aspirations to be what you want to be when you grow up. Four years later, you leave high school and then your life suddenly begins. Your life as you know it is filled, I'm sorry, uh, your life as you know it is lived with little to no childlike faith, wonder, or aspirations. You wake up each day with a sigh rather than a laugh. You look at things like nature as nothing more than ordinary. You stop smelling colors, hearing shapes, seeing sounds, and touching scents. Life as you know it is normal. Our life with God is just like this. We meet him and recognize that he has done and is doing such great things in and through us, but we've allowed ourselves to mature and thus lose our childlike faith and wonder. But little do we realize that wonder itself, uh, without uh, losing that wonder, has what, is what produced apathy in our lives. I truly believe that the lack of wonder that our I guess Christianity or as a people, that lack of wonder has caused apathy. I think that when you remove wonder from the picture, all you get is a basic, boring Christian life where you live every single day thinking, okay, if I just check this box or check this box, then I've done everything I needed to do. But you have no wonder, no childlike uh, excitement and faith for God. And so today, I want to talk about what's happened with that and how we can restore that ultimately. So, what has happened? 
Why do we no longer have wonder and why has it dwindled away as we've gotten older? Maybe it's circumstance. I know for me, our family, if you were here yesterday, you heard a little bit about our story. But my family went through uh, some pretty difficult time from around, mm, I would say 2013 to 2015 is where it was like at its peak. And I'm going to be honest with you, during that time, we lost a lot of our wonder. It was hard to look at God and be like, oh my gosh, God, I am so excited for what you have for me today when everything else around you seems to be crumbling. So maybe for some of us, whether you're going through it now or whether you're going or whether you've been through it, that wonder was attached to your circumstance. And so when the circumstance came and went, so did your wonder. It's like when it's like the way I look at it is whenever you go swimming for the first time, when you're in the shallow end, you see your dad holding his arms out, waiting for you to jump, you know, you're hesitant at first, and then ultimately you end up jumping in and trusting your dad. But now that circumstance is coming, you realize that now you're in a little bit deeper water and you're wondering, can dad catch me here? You know, it's a little bit deeper. Um, and, and it's like the more that we move down into the deep end, the more we think God may not be able to catch me here because I can't see the bottom of the pool anymore. And that's what's crazy because God actually never not touches the bottom. He's never treading water. So why did we ever get to the place where we allowed our circumstance or allow a deeper part of the pool, if you will, to prevent us from jumping in with childlike wonder and faith? I'm certain a big portion of our wonder leaving is those that came before us. I think primarily, uh, at least from everyone that I've had around me, it's been not my parents' generation, but my grandparents' generation of people. Because everyone was talking about, oh, the Lord's coming in the morning, so we're going to live the best that we can here and now for ourselves because, you know, grandkids and stuff, they're probably not even going to come. And I don't know where that came from. I don't know why that even arose in the hearts of people, but there was no one willing to raise up image bearers to carry the flame. They had a flame of, them, of, their own, of their own choosing, but they were never willing to pass the torch, if you will, to the next generation. And that has caused a lot of people to lose their wonder because they themselves had lost their wonder. How can one have wonder if those raising them has no wonder themselves? Maybe for some it's a system of ministry. This one is my story. This, is, this may not be a lot of people here. This may be just me and Josh. I don't know. But I was in the system of ministry for about seven years trying to get a platform to pastor or to preach to some degree. I would do YouTube videos, podcasts, serve at these giant mega churches, attended a ministry college. I don't know why it was even called a college. It never gave you a degree. It was just a little certificate signed by someone who, that, that's funny. About the, the per, the, what's funny is I went to ministry college to get a certificate signed by the famous pastor. The pastor got fired halfway through my time at the college. So it was like, now what do I do? Like, I was here for a certificate. Now I don't even want it anymore. I don't even know where that certificate's at anymore, to be honest with you. I th I'm pretty sure it's, it's somewhere collecting dust. Um, but I was never led in a place of wonder in that entire seven years. One of the churches that I went to elevated those in this system of ministry and said that if you're in ministry, then you're a little closer to God than everyone else. They wouldn't say it, but they would strongly imply that if you're not preaching or teaching or have some kind of ministry call on your life, then you're just a tad bit lower than everyone else. And so for me, that robbed my wonder because it was like, how can I look at God and have wonder if all I see is I can't get a job in ministry and elevate to a place where I'm higher than everyone else? And it's like everyone else around me who's getting these jobs in ministry is, is experiencing the fullness of God. And I'm just sitting here like, well, I guess God's forgotten about me. I can't get a job in ministry. I can't preach, all this stuff. And it robbed my wonder. I don't know how many here have been in, or in, been in ministry or pursued ministry. Actually, Kyle went to the same school that I did too, which is funny because he knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, when you put your identity in a failing system such as ministry, I know that sounds, counter, that sounds weird to say because when you think of ministry, you think of positivity. But ministry is a failing system without wonder. So when you put your identity in this failing system, your wonder will disappear faster than you could have ever imagined. 
I think part of it is we get used to the wonderful things that we have around us and take for granted what we actually have. I think we're actually starting to get into this place now, now that we're seeing what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. But I want to put some things into perspective for you because we probably don't think about this often. I, I don't think about this often. We live in a country where we can speak openly and freely about Yahweh without fear of persecution. Did you know that there are 232 countries worldwide that severely persecute Christians? And when I say severely, I mean like torture, death, imprisonment, like severe, severe, severe persecution. 232 countries. We literally can go outside of these walls right now and talk to everyone we see about Jesus and not even have a cop come up to us and talk to us. Like, we have an incredible freedom to speak openly about Jesus, and yet we take it for granted. Think about Bibles. Bibles have never been easier to get. However, in 52 countries in the world, it is illegal to even have a Bible. And yet we can pull one up on our phone in four seconds, and we still struggle to read our Bible. Not saying I'm not trying to encourage a workspace thing, but I'm just making a point. We complain that we that we're not close to God and we wish that we read our Bible more, but we have access to it everywhere we go. Easy for us to scroll through Facebook and Instagram, but hard for us to open the Bible for, you know, a few, anyways, I'm, I'm not going to go that down that route. <laughs> um, in the time of Jesus, think about this, in the time of Jesus, bits and pieces of the written text were spread out throughout the tribes of Israel in the synagogue. So not even Jesus himself had complete and full access to the text. And yet they memorized it. What? Like we have access to it every single day, wherever we go. And yet in Israel, they memorized the text and they didn't even have the whole text where they were, but they were still able to memorize the text and go around to these different places and get bits and pieces of it. And yet we take for granted that we have a mobile app that's free, that has every translation in existence, even the bad ones. Um, we live in a country where we are blessed with everything we need. Think about this. Think about this. Water, clean water. 771 million people across the world lack access to safe water. You know what's crazy? Outside those doors, we have a water fountain with an unlimited supply of clean and safe water, and yet 771 million people lack access to safe water. And we take it for granted. I do too. I do the exact same thing. I take it for granted. I love that we have a bigger desk, by the way. I can discard my pages and have plenty of room. All right, think about food. I love food, so this is a good one for me. 690 million people go to bed on an empty stomach, not just hungry, but an empty stomach each night. And by 2030, according to the statistics that I read, I don't know how accurate they are, but the statistics that I saw said by 2030, the number is expected to exceed 840 million people going to bed on an empty stomach. Think about this. How often do you think about this? I don't think about it a lot. I'm, I'm convicting myself. I'm almost done. i got two more points that I want to make here. Adequate shelter. In the most recent study for Habitat for Humanity, it is estimated that 1.6 billion, billion people around the world live in inadequate shelter. 1.6 billion. Think about vehicles. I don't know if everybody here drives yet. I, uh, I know I have some of my siblings here that don't drive yet. But 17% of the world drive cars. And I'm pretty sure most everyone here drives cars. Listen, realizing what I know that I know I'm not trying to, well, I am trying to convict you a little bit. But realizing what we have and what we have around us can restore your wonder. When you really think about these things, I know for some of us, I really feel it right now. For some of us, just hearing this stuff is already like, oh my gosh, like I am so thankful for where I am. And this restoring the wonder. But when we forget this stuff, that's what can rob our wonder. All right, we got to move on. Got to move on. Uh, we forget where the Lord has brought us from and brought us to. How often do you forget where the Lord has brought you? Think about yourself years ago. I think about myself. In the same system of ministry, I was, I was trucking away, trying to earn this favor of God by getting a position in ministry. 
And then two years ago, I mean, if you were here at group, you heard me mention it, but two years ago, the Lord radically changed my heart, where it was no longer about me getting a job in ministry, but it was about me being before him because I realized that God was pleased with me exactly like I am, and it radically changed me forever. But what about you? Where has the Lord brought you? I've seen some stories in here unfold in tremendous ways. I've seen people here, people here, healed of physical ailments. We had someone healed of cancer here last week. How often do we take that for granted? Like, did you, have you thought about that today? Like, I haven't until reading this now. We, we had someone healed of a, phys, of a severe physical ailment here at this church. I've seen people here healed of addiction. I've seen some of you healed of anxiety and depression. Think about where God has brought you. Think about it just for a second. Where has God brought you, and how did you get to where you are now to where you were living for God with every part of your being. Where has the Lord brought you? Because when you truly start to think about that, your wonder starts to come back. I truly believe it. Because for me, that's what it does. When I think about where I was in a place of complete unsatisfaction and where I'd be in my room crying my eyes out, begging God to open a door for me to get into some kind of ministry, when all along the thing I was longing for was actually right there next to me saying, I'm here with you. I know you don't have this job, but you have me, which is everything you'll ever need. Sorry, this table's a little wobbly. But think about, think about the Bible for a second. God continuously reminds his people where he has brought them. Not only that, he puts things in place so that people never forget. Think about creation. God created the Sabbath to remind all of creation that God is a God who knows how to say enough and rest in completed work. He created Sabbath so that we remember to rest. Think about Adam and Eve. Although they messed up, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was there to remind them that they have the ability to say no to animal appetite and say yes to the tree of life. If you ever wanted to know why, like that's the question that I get asked all the time. Why does God put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in and like, why didn't God just have the tree of life? The reason being is that what separates image bearers from other creatures is we have the ability to say no. Think about a bear for a second. If a hungry bear runs in this room, is it going to be looking at everything around us saying, hmm, what is actually edible? Or is it going to maul everything you see? It'll eat this, this paper. It'll eat my water bottle. It'll eat this table. It'll eat this speaker. I mean, it'll eat everything, everything. But for us, we have the ability to say no to animal appetites. And that's what this tree was there to remind them is, yes, this tree here, you shouldn't eat of this tree, but I'm leaving it here so that you can see it and remember that you are different than everybody else. You're different than the beast. That's why the beast that comes in, in the garden that tries to tempt Adam and Eve, it's a beast. And the reason that they fall into it is they start to take advice from a beast who doesn't have what they have. A beast that has that animal appetite that says, oh, you're hungry, just eat of this. When in reality, God put it there not to be consumed, but to remind them of who they are. Think about Noah. Noah was given the bow in the clouds to remind all of those after him that God is a God who knows how to stop destroying. Think about Abraham. Abraham was shown the star in the sky to remind him of how his descendants will be as numerous as them. Think about Jacob. I love the story of Jacob. Think about Jacob. Jacob's hip was forcibly popped out of socket to remind him that not only was his name changed to fighter of God, but that his walk was different because he wrestled with God. You ever thought about that? That the, if you read the story of Jacob and see his hip popped out of socket, think about how the rest of that story, he is walking with a limp now. And that limp was there to remind him that he wrestled with God and the Bible says that he won. Mm -mm. All right. I'm going to need some amening in here. I'm, I'm Pentecostal. I grew up Pentecostal, so I'm going to need some shouting, some amens, some, some yelling in tongues. <laughs> that, that would actually happen, by the way. I promise. They'd be preaching. And, ah! <laughs> Moses was given instruction on Mount Sinai on how to celebrate and feast over the things that the Lord did for them. The feasts were created to remind Israel that Yahweh was the God who brought them out of Egypt. All these feasts that they have were all to remember. Think about communion, too. I'm jumping ahead of myself, but think about communion. When Jesus says, take and eat, 
do this in remembrance of me. King David wrote psalms to the Lord, praising God for not only who he is, but reminding himself of what God has done. I can't pronounce his name. Excuse my pronunciation of this. But Hilkiah, the priest, finds the law and gives it to Shaphan, the secretary, and he brings it to King Josiah after being lost and reads it to him to remind him and all of Israel of who they are and what they are supposed to do as kingdom of priests. Nehemiah rebuilt the wall to remind the people of Israel where the Lord brought them to and how he is their protector. Jesus himself shows up on the scene and shows not only the people of God who he is, but also the people of the world who he has always been. He was the perfect sign that God had remembered his covenant promised all the way back in Genesis 3. Paul reminds us to remember the faith of Abraham and how that same faith justifies us. The Bible is very passionate about people remembering things. I mean, every single story, God is either creating something to remind them or reminding them through the story that I am the God. Every single time God introduces himself, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who brought you out of Egypt. Everywhere. God reminds them of who he is. The Bible is so passionate about it. So why have we allowed ourselves to forget where the Lord has brought us? That when we encounter God, why is it that we suddenly forget, oh, this is the God who brought me out of my slavery? We forget. Let's not forget where God has brought us. us. Otherwise, our wonder will be bankrupt. When I look back over the few years of the people that I've seen here or other places that I'm well acquainted with, I see that wonder has made its way to the back of the room. It's not even talked about anymore, let alone lived. I remember one church that I had in high school, end of middle school into high school, where we would show up to service. The service started at 7. We'd show up at 5.30 every single week, and we would just pray. We'd go into another room where nobody saw us, put on some worship music, and we would pray and weep under the power of the Holy Spirit. And then after the service was over, we would stay after service for an extra hour just to get a little bit more of what God's been doing in the service. But now... Over time, that church lost little by little the wonder that it had. I see it now on social media and different things like that because now that church is focused on church growth and building a social media presence. It makes me want to puke. It's absolutely disgusting because who cares if your church has 2,000 followers if the people who are attending are spiritually apathetic? Who cares? Who cares how many people go to your church if everyone who goes there is a mile wide but an inch deep? It's pathetic. It is pathetic. I'm I'm sorry. It is crazy to me that you can be so in tune with what God is doing and then trade that for something that is temporary. You be so immersed in what God is doing in and through you, and suddenly you're like, "Eh, well, why don't we just use this to build a, a platform for ourselves? instead of letting other people just come and see the flame and then get immersed in it themselves. I remember when we at Dream would have seats emptied for the most part during worship because everyone was spread out and worshiping with undignified worship. We'd have people on the floors. We'd have people with flags and dancing and going crazy. You guys remember Susan? I remember, oh, I'm telling you, Susan is my favorite, favorite, favorite person to worship. She would be in this corner. She didn't care what anybody else thought. She would, get, she would have two very large flags, and she would dance all over that part of the room, and she didn't care who was watching her. But it seems as though, and I, I listen, I'm telling you, this is why I said this is particularly for Dream, because there is, when I look out at worship now, when I'm sitting up there and I'm looking out during parts of worship, there are some people that are sitting down like this. Like, how can you be so face-to-face with God? Because God's in this room. God is doing amazing things here. How can you be so close to God, yet just sit there and not respond like you used to? And some of the, listen, the, what I'm thinking of right now, there are some people that were in the floor that are now sitting like that. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to encourage a works-based anything, but I'm saying out of the overflow of the heart, I'm telling you, you see how people, when you see how people act, that's how you know what's in their heart. And so when I see people that are sitting there and just like sitting there, they're yawning, they're in worship, it's like, bro, like, I remember when you were so on fire for God, and yet that has just dwindled away. 
I remember when we would schedule nights of worship at people's houses and worship bonfires, like not because we had to, but just because we wanted to. I remember hearing stories about how people would take time out of their week to meet up and go out and pray for everyone they came in contact with and just be led by the Spirit. Listen, again, again, I want to make sure that this is not coming off the wrong way. I'm not trying to encourage a works-based religion by any means, but I am encouraging a wonder that is so deep and so immersed in him that it produces good works without effort. So think about it this way. I don't worship because it's a good work. I worship because I'm so fascinated with Yahweh that the only response I have is worship. Think about tithing. I don't tithe because it's a good work. I tithe because I'm so in love with God and what he's doing that I can't help but give him everything I have. Think about giving to the needy. I don't give to the needy because it's a good work or I'm going to get any kind of fame or check off a spiritual box. I give to the needy because I'm so fascinated with God and his creation that I don't want to see any other image bearer suffer. Think about evangelism. That word has such a negative connotation now. But I don't tell people about Jesus because it's a good work. I tell people about Jesus because I can't help but tell people about the person I'm fascinated with. You see the difference? It's not that we're doing good works to have some spiritual checkbox checked or to please God, but we work because God is already pleased with us. Good works are the evidence of wonder. Why? Because true good works come out of the overflow of of a fascinated heart. Good works that are done for the purpose of trying to get God's attention are not good works by biblical standards. I don't work to get his attention. I work because I already have his attention. That's the difference. So we've got to move on. I'm sorry. I, I could hang on that point all day long, but I've got to move on. Why is it that we exchange wonder so easily? We fail to realize that outgrowing wonder moves us backwards in spiritual maturity. When you lose your wonder, you lose your senses. When you lose your senses, you fail to see the kingdom of God unveil right before your very eyes. That is why things like the rapture theology that Josh mentioned is truly as popular as it is. People have bought into this idea that what will truly satisfy their hungry souls is escapism. When the truth is, what will truly satisfy them is hopping in daddy's lap at 6.46 in the morning and having him restore their wonder here and now, not when they're dead. That is what we're supposed to do. That's what true satisfaction is. It's time that we kick theologies like escapism to the curb. Enough is enough. I'm tired of seeing hopeless Christians. I'm tired of seeing people live every day of their life waiting for God to come back when, in fact, God's actually trying to invade earth here and now, not pull people away. There is no satisfaction in a belief system that says, when he shows up in the morning, I'll finally be home and satisfied because I finally see him face to face and all the evil around me is no more. But what happens when he doesn't show up in the morning? I don't know about you, but I am like David when he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent. He will set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. That is what our calling, if you ever wanted to know what your calling is, that's what it is. It's not leaving. It's being so engulfed with him here that it doesn't matter what comes against you. You stand strong because he's on your side. You know what's funny? So many people are waiting to get out, but I bet you, like, listen, you guys are welcome to be so excited about leaving because as you're leaving, God's going to be working his way in. You're going to pass God on your way out because God's on his way here. He's not trying to pull us away. He's trying to merge heaven and earth here and now. So if you want to leave and escape, go for it. But I'm here where God's going to be. 
This is what life has always meant to be. Not a place to sit and dwell in our sadness, but a place where we see the knowledge of the glory of the Lord cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We are here as ambassadors of heaven to proclaim that the year of the Lord has come and heaven is here. For a few, this is why your wonder has dissipated. You've been hoping for escape when God has actually called you to dwell. Maybe instead of hoping for earth to get to heaven, you bring heaven itself to earth. That is what Jesus preached. What did he say? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at at hand. What does that mean? It's at hand. Heaven isn't so far away. If heaven was so far away, Jesus would have said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is a million miles away. It's not what he said. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So why, why, where did that theology even come from that God's trying to pull us away when Jesus has said it's here? All right, that's one theology. I, I need to shut down one more. We're having fun here, right? Amen? All right, another theology that has robbed the wonder of believers. I'm going to make so many people mad with this because I have a lot, because I used to be in this myself, and a lot of friends who may be watching this that heard I was speaking that also believe this, and I'm, I'm going to make you so mad. I'm sorry. But we have to shut down Calvinism and reform theology, okay? So we're going to look at their theological structure. I, want, I really want to hit this because once you actually see this, you begin to see how just honestly terrible, but also how destructive it can be. So let's go through it. They, ha- they go through a thing called TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. We're going to go one by one, and I'm going to show you this because I want you to see why we preach so much against this. T, total depravity. I believe this is the quickest way to lose your wonder. When you think that you are nothing more than the gum on the bottom of God's shoe, you have no reason or drive to wonder. Who can imagine the goodness of God when all you think about is, woe is me, for I am nothing but a pile of snow-covered dung. A pastor actually called us a pile of snow-covered dung, by the way. That's, That's an actual thing. But listen, listen, listen. Not even sin itself can change the way Yahweh feels about you. Yes, God banished Adam and Eve from the garden to prevent them from living forever under the curse of this knowledge of good and evil. However, God left the garden with them and stayed with them. It never says that God sent them out and then was just staying in the garden himself. God left with them. We see that in Cain and Abel. My question is, did they actually leave the garden if God came with them? Sorry, a different sermon. Got to move on. Got to move on. I, ugh, I want to preach so, so much on that now. Uh, you. So total depravity, unconditional election. This belief states that God created some to be saved from their natural depravity and others to be bathed in God's eternal wrath. I want to read you a quote. I found this this week, and I'm telling you, it was the most disgusting thing I've ever heard someone say about human beings. It's, oh, it's just awful. I'm not going to say who it was. I almost did. I'm not going to say who it was. He said, the moment when you take your first step through the gates of hell, the only thing you will hear is all of creation standing to its feet and applauding and praising God because God has rid the earth of you. That's how not good you are. Is that not the most disgusting thing you've ever heard? I'm, so, I'm very careful to call things heresy now, but that is heresy. That is the definition of being anti-God. I'm going to read it one more time. I want you to feel this. I want to read it. The disgust you feel. It's good if you feel disgust. If you actually feel like, hmm, this is right, then we need to pray for you today. The moment when you take your first step through the gates of hell, the only thing you will hear is all of creation standing to its feet and applauding and praising God because God has rid the earth of you. That's how not good you are. Does, oh, it's just, I can't even fathom. Like, how do you say that and God just not strike you right there? <laughs> the, I, I, I'm sorry, but that is just, it, it's so, it's the opposite of God's character. God does, it, way I look at it, God created a good earth. He looked at earth and said, this is tov mayad, which means very good in Hebrew. So how can we read something like that, that God called creation very good and then say, yeah, God can't wait to get rid of you. How do we get to that place? That's the opposite of the gospel. Who would even want to sign up for this gospel? 
One that says, you could make it, but the people you love, hmm, they may be one of the reprobate, which means that they're one of the people designed for hell. Sorry, guess we'll just rejoice in their suffering. Who would want to sign up for that? I wouldn't. Call me atheist. I'll be atheist. That's not a God I want to believe in. How can you have any kind of wonder if you think that you may or may not be destined for eternity in a place that apparently is applauding people because they're getting what they're deserved? All right, I'm going to move on. Total depravity, um, unconditional election, L, limited atonement. This one's a joke. This is the belief that Jesus' death wasn't for all, but only for the elect, mentioned in the the U part of this um, acronym. How can you have a limitless wonder for God in a, if he himself has limits, particularly in the realm of grace? I'm going to shut this down with one Bible verse, and then we're going to just move on, because this is the easiest thing to shut down. Titus 2.11. This is hilarious. Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Moving on. There it is. The end. All right, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace. This one's so close, yet so far. This is the belief that the elect that God has chosen are forcibly chosen through a grace that cannot be resisted. Now, here's the problem with this one. The problem with this is that, one, it's irresistible only to the elect, wouldn't that mean it's actually resistible to the unelect, thus making it resistible grace? Also, God's grace is not something that he just forces on us like robots. It's something that has been applied to all because of Jesus. So yes, grace is irresistible, but that's because it's our identity, not because it's something that God is forcing upon us. So when, when Jesus died on the cross, grace was given, grace became our identity. It's not something that he's like, let me just take this grace and just splash it on this person. It's now grace is your name. That's the difference. All right. Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace. Last one, perseverance of the saints. This teaching asserts that once a person is born of God or regenerated by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they will continue to do good works and believing in God until the end of their life. Now, I actually agree with that statement. The problem is with the name. I would never call it perseverance of the saints because that's implying the elect. I would call it perseverance of humanity. That's, that's, that's the only problem I have with that, is they're saying it's only the elect who persevere. I say Jesus died for all, according to Titus 2.11, so it'd be perseverance for humanity. Moving on. Do you see the deep error in this way of thinking? When we look at our relationship with God this way and humanity this way, wonder is nothing more than an anti-cessationalist heresy to our church. Cessationalism, for those that don't know, is the belief that God has spoken everything in Scripture and done everything in Scripture, but now he no longer does the good works that are in here. And so people who believe this way will look at what we're doing and say that we are the opposite of truth and call us heresy because we're doing things. I mean, we're honestly, the Bible encourages us to keep doing these good things. But anyways, I'm going to move on because I, I want to shout at some people, especially that are watching. All right. The only way we will experience the revival of the world is if we abandon theologies like this that discourage wonder. Escapism and this Calvinistic thinking, both, and there's, there's a bunch more that we could go through. Those are just two examples. But anything that is discouraging wonder needs to be kicked to the curb because we have to wake up our wonder. Now, I want to transition for the sake of time to outline some practical steps that we can take and keep our wonder in fact, or intact and burning. So, what do we do to wake up our wonder, and how do we ensure that this wonder doesn't dissipate shortly after waking it up? Dissipate is a word that I learned last week, so you'll probably hear me say it a few times just because I'm, I know the word now. Um, anyways, I, I'm trying to learn, and I can't even say, what was the other word I couldn't say? Um, seamlessly. I was saying seemingly. Yeah, anyways. So, one way that I believe that wonder can be restored, but not just restored, but continual, is if we commit to tending to the devotional flame. A life filled with wonder is a life filled with daily, personal, 
unadulterated, undistracted devotion to Yahweh. In a society filled with encouragement to leave devotion behind and pursue personal goals, dreams, and desires, we are seeing wonder at an all-time low. It is only when we remove ourselves from these inferior pursuits and go into the wilderness of devotion that we see ourselves radically anew and filled with awestruck wonder. It is only when we hide ourselves under the wings of Papa that we find the hidden treasure that is only reserved for the wondrous filled wild ones. I've been watching a lot of Damon Thompson, so I'm going to take some of his lingo. However, this hidden treasure is not an inferior earthly treasure. No, 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 no. Instead, this treasure is the one treasure that can satisfy a wondrous filled image bearer and fill them to overflow. This treasure is simply more of him. You see, for a tamed, unwondrous soul, that's not enough. That beast longs what the flesh has an appetite for. But for the wild and free, wondrous-filled son and daughter, it is completely and totally satisfying, and it's an infinitely good treasure. I'm going to read that one more time. I know it's a lot. I want to read it one more time because I think that we may have gotten distracted. I want to read that one more time. A life filled with wonder is a life filled with daily, personal, unadulterated, undistracted devotion to Yahweh. In a society filled with encouragement to leave devotion behind and pursue personal goals, dreams, and desires, we are seeing wonder at an all-time low. It is only when we remove ourselves from these inferior pursuits and go into the wilderness of devotion that we see ourselves radically anew and filled with awestruck wonder. It is only when we hide ourselves under the wings of Papa that we find the hidden treasure that is only reserved for the wondrous filled wild ones. However, the hidden treasure is not an inferior earthly treasure. Instead, this treasure is the one treasure that can satisfy a wondrous image bearer and fill them to overflow. This treasure is simply more of him. You see, for a tamed, unwondrous soul, that is not enough. That beast longs for what the flesh has an appetite for, but the wild and free, wondrous son and daughter, it is completely and totally satisfying. It is in the place of secret devotion that our wonder is renewed daily. You know what's awesome, too, about this wonder? Is this wonder will produce a complete change in appetite. Let me give you some examples. You'll stop longing to be noticed. Why? Because the one who has caught your gaze notices you, and that is enough. How many people do we know that need to catch that gaze? That they're longing to be noticed, but if they could just see the face of Yahweh and see how he really feels about them, there's nothing else that they would long for. You'll stop longing for wealth. Why? Because seeing the face of Yahweh is more wealth than you will ever need. On top of that, he will supply your needs according to his riches. Wouldn't you rather be supplied by what he calls riches rather than what you call riches? Money is but a piece of paper that is so easily affected by the conditions it finds itself in. Just look at gas. 360 a gallon. It's disgusting. I'm just going to get an electric car. Heavenly riches are firmly infinite because they come from an infinitely good God. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want God's wealth. I don't care about the world's wealth. Yes, we need world's wealth for, for some things, but like, if I had to choose, it's an easy choice. You'll stop longing to be appealing to those around you. Why? Because you are so satisfied in the way that Yahweh sees you. If you have caught his gaze, what more do you need? Who else do you need to impress? It's all inferior to his infinite love for you. Some of you just need to look in the mirror and allow your wonder to show you the way Yahweh sees you. Go through the Bible and see how God feels about you, and I promise you will never see yourself the same. The problem is, is we let those around us or let culture or let social media look at ourselves. We look at ourselves through that lens, and we're like, oh, I don't like what I see. Or we'll post pictures on Instagram, and because it didn't get enough likes, we'll delete them because we think that, we, that the picture of ourselves or whatever we did wasn't good enough for those around us. 
But the only person that we really need to impress is one. So one like is all we need, and you always get it from God. That's super cheesy, super cheesy, super cheesy. I'm owning it. I'm owning it. There's only one like you need, and that's the like of Jesus. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I'm so sorry. You'll remember that, though. You'll remember that, though. You'll, you'll laugh at it, but you'll remember it. <laughs> How about this? You'll beg God to keep you hidden. Mm-mm-mm. This one, this one hits home for me. How many times do we ask God to reveal us or bring us into our promised land? Damon Thompson, I actually listened to a sermon recently, and he says that calling comes in three step, stages. One is prophecy, two is process, three is promise. Prophecy, process, promise. When you are truly in the place of devotion, you will find that the place of process looks as appetizing as the promise, and you'll beg God to let you stay in the process. So, listen, hearing that, you may not understand it, but when you are so engulfed in his presence, you'll understand that if all you can have is, is, is the level of God that you're experiencing in the process, you'll say, God, like, I know that a promise is coming, but can I just stay here a little longer? That, that, I'm, I'm experiencing that right now presently in my life because I've had things prophesied over me, but right now I'm working at a warehouse for CPI security. Shout out. <laughs> Promote me. Give me more money. Um, never, I'm, I'm satisfied with heavenly riches. Um, <laughs> sorry. But I am in the middle of that. But the awesome thing is, is I have experienced Yahweh in a way that I can never explain with words in the middle of my warehouse while I'm stocking shelves that I have been begging God, God, I know what you've prophesied over me, but if I can stay in this warehouse hidden in your wing a little bit longer, I'll have everything I'll need. This is what I want. I'm telling you, even a couple weeks ago, I mentioned this at groups, so if you're here, it's his review, but the Lord revived something. Like I was listening to the song Out of Hiding by um, Stephanie Gretzinger, and uh, there was one part, like the Lord had, had brought me back home a couple weeks ago, and I was going through a lot of different things, but uh, I'll save that story for another time. But the Lord hit me in such a profound way that I had to, because there were people at the warehouse at the time, I had to run to the restroom, close and lock the door, and I was weeping my eyes out. And I truly believe, I truly believe that if I was in the place that I wanted to be five, six years ago, then that would have never happened. That wouldn't have even been heard of. I would have been trying to put together sermons and, and talking about 16 different ways that you can recover your awestruck wonder instead of actually living in it and letting the overflow of that pour out on those that I speak to. When you are truly in this place of devotion, you will find that the place of process looks as appetizing as the promise, and you will beg God to let you stay. This is how you know that you are exactly where you need to be. If you are so satisfied in God that you are telling him to keep you where you are, you know you're exactly where you need to be. But if you are begging God to move you to a new place, yes, I know we have seasons and we always ask God to get us out of difficult times, but I'm saying if you're in the middle of waiting, if you're asking God to continuously remove you from that, then maybe there's something going on in the secret place that needs to be fixed today. This is the kind of devotional flame you need. I'm so tired of religion trying to graduate us from presence. Religion fights to grow you in a system. Presence fights to keep you hidden in him. Some of us are so focused on things like destiny that you forget that the only destination worth living in is his presence. What good is advancement in religion if it leads you down the broad path? The true narrow way, as Jesus speaks about, leads to life. And it's one that runs headstrong in devotion to him. I truly believe that the only way that you see that narrow way is when you are running headstrong in him, not in a system of religion. So what else? I'm going to move on from this devotional thing. We're going to come back to it at the end. What else do we need to do to maintain this wonder? I believe the only other thing we need, aside from devotion, is we have to commit to family. What I mean is this. Committing to a life of tending the flame of wonder requires being planted deep, not casually, in a place called family. 
this place is a river of life. This is why I said this is specifically for dreams. So if you're at a different church, I don't know your situation, but this is about dream. Drink consistently from this river because it will satisfy you and give you permission to blossom into everything God has called you to do and be. The moment that you allow yourself to believe that you need to treat what we are doing here as casual or ordinary is the moment that you've decided to make wonder a secondary focus on your life. The treacherous consequence of this is that wonder doesn't take a back seat. You either make wonder a priority or you forfeit it entirely. There is no in-between. What we are doing here each and every time we meet is growing our roots a little bit deeper in this good soil. There is no more of this casual, we'll just get here when we feel like it attitude. No more of this, it's okay if I'm 10, 20 minutes late, somebody will let me in attitude. If you are serious about this, you will treat this as your highest priority aside from personal devotion. There are people everywhere that come here and say that they wish they had what we have back where they are coming from. They wish that they had what we have. I made the mistake of taking this for granted myself. I left this environment and found myself empty because I was not deeply rooted by the river. Dream Church. It is by God's grace that I am back here and I've let my roots run so deep that there is nothing separating me from this river without taking my life. Let this serve as a warning to those who say yes to being rooted here. The moment you are rooted, you are left without excuse. You have no excuse to keep your life within the box of religion. You have no excuse to be dignified in your worship. You have no excuse to treat this casually. You have the responsibility of growing deep in the good soil by the river and taking on a responsibility that will ruin you for anything inferior. I'm telling you, what we have here is not normal. It's not normal. What we are doing here is infinitely important. We aren't just having church. We are establishing ushers for the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We aren't just establishing this inch wide, or I'm sorry, this mile wide and an inch deep people. We have, we have a small church when it comes to what anybody else would call small. But God is looking at what we're doing here and said, this church is massive. Why? Because we are deeply rooted in the presence of God, and we are here for him. We're not here to bring people in. We're here to bring anybody that comes in here, we're here to offer them to taste and see that the Lord is good. And then we're here to glorify God and enjoy him daily. That is, like, that, that's actually from somebody who's reformed, but I'm stealing it because it's actually right. But our life's calling is to live each and every day for the glory of God and enjoy him daily. Many of us have tasted and seen and will never be the same. Some of you have been coming here for quite some time and have been hesitant to plant yourself. Hear me and hear me good. This is good soil. Don't settle for something inferior. I'm not trying to force you to come to church here, but don't let yourself settle for a bottled-up religion when you can be in a family that says, just jump in the river. So many churches are standing by the river, and they're bottling up the presence of God, and they're selling it for profit, when in reality, we're here, and we're just saying, just jump in. Here's something else. We are establishing something that's going to be enjoyed for generations to come. It's not just a spiritual high for us. This is our legacy. We will not settle for something that is just us. The previous generation settled for that, and look what that got us. The next generations aren't going to wrestle with this stuff because it's going to be in their DNA to know nothing else but presence. And that is going to make all the difference in our world. I prophetically see our family and our legacy as the epicenter of hope, healing, and fulfillment for our city. It's been all, all over me since I've, since I've moved here. Is that this place, although it is small, there are going to be people who come from everywhere to just taste and see what's going on here. I see us inheriting Columbia. Damon Thompson was actually here, and he prophesied over our church. He said that Columbia 
will be the hub for all things worship in America. That people will be on their way to Nashville and have to swiftly turn from their path and head east to Columbia because they feel such a pull from the Holy Spirit. But this is only possible if we remain deeply rooted. We have to stop settling for basic church if we want to see this come into fruition. This means being ever-present for each other in our city. we got to take this thing seriously. In closing, Josh, you can go ahead and, and work your way up. Um, I know we've covered a lot of stuff here, but I truly feel like we have some work to do. We do, all of us, including myself. God really wants to restore some wineskins. I have felt all week this week, all week this week, that God is going to restore some wineskins today. I, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. I want to close with two things. First, I want to read from Luke 18. Jesus had something to say about this childlike wonder thing. Luke 18:15 says, People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. The way that we're going to inherit this thing is we have to have our wonder restored. And see, remember the story I read at the beginning, like the, the, the cycle of life? We have to get back to the place where we're coloring outside the lines again. The only thing we long for is Papa's joy and love. I want to read a poem, too, that I found by uh, Mia Bird. I don't even know if it's Christian, but this is exactly what I believe um, sums up how we should have a heart. All right. It says, what's over there? Or what's over? Let me start over. What's over here? I want to see. What are you hiding? If I climb the tallest tree, what will I see? I am just a child going through my life. Every day is an adventure. There's no such thing as strife. Drawing my green giraffe, not bothering to stay in the lines. Let's look in this treasure chest. I wonder what I'll find. Adventure is everywhere. Curiosity is the key. The sky is the limit. No idea what waits for me. Here comes the notes of sadness, leaving this behind, growing up and watching people try to destroy, trying to make you stay in the lines. No matter, I don't have to allow, for everyone is a child at heart, it's just up to us to follow. I'm telling you, God wants to do some amazing, amazing, amazing things in and through each and every one of us. But if we allow ourselves to settle for anything less than God's best, and we don't receive this thing with wonder like a child, we could miss so many great things. Josh mentioned this during worship. He said that there's going to be, or I think he mentioned up here, he said there's, God's about to do some things that our hearts never would have dreamed of. We're not going to be positioned to receive that unless we have a heart of wonder. We're going to miss so much of what God is doing. Like the thing that my dad said, some of us probably sighed like, oh, like, okay, someone's prophesying that God's going to give us a building. If we had a heart of wonder, our hearts would be like, oh my goodness, yes, I cannot wait. That's it. So I want to close. We're going to do some worship, actually. Um, I'm going to actually, well, I'll leave us there right here. So we're going to do some worship. I'm not even going to ask every, everyone can bow their heads if they want to, but I'm not going to ask anyone to, to raise their hand or anything like that. But I want to ask one question, and you can answer this in your heart. Has your wonder went away? Or even has your wonder went down compared to where it used to be? Have there been times where you've been so infatuated with God and what he's doing that you were on your face weeping your eyes out? Now, when you encounter that same God, 
your heart's like, huh, okay, I guess I'll pray today. Or I guess I'll pray when I need him. But God wants to do something. He wants to blow your mind. But if you don't have a heart of wonder, you're just going to look at that as just a normal, ordinary thing. So I want you to ask yourself today, do I need my wonder restored? Do I need my wonder restored? Do I need my wonder revived? Have I been lacking in the area of personal devotion? Have I been taking God's presence for granted where I'll go each and every day and the only time that I'll truly pursue God in devotion is if I have time? Or do you make it your priority because you know that wonder needs to be the forefront of your thought? Maybe you're not deeply rooted anywhere. Let me tell you, I'm, I'm telling you from experience, this is good soil. Plant yourself here and see your life radically changed forever by other image bearers who are committing to this devotional and wondrous flame. So I'm gonna pray and then Josh is gonna sing some worship and we're gonna take the next few minutes if you need to spread out, if you need to come to the front, well, however you need to receive this, do not leave here the same. Do not leave wonder behind when you walk out the door. There used to be an old thing that we would preach about altar calls, saying that when you come to the front, leave whatever you had and only take back with you what you know God wants you to have. And that's what I'm encouraging here. If anything is hindering your wonder, throw that down now. Do not let it walk out with you because it will rob you of what God is going to do in your life. It'll rob your wonder. It'll rob every single day that you have and you'll see everything as nothing more than ordinary. You'll be apathetic. Maybe some of you are already in that place. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna, we're gonna sit in this. It's gonna be uncomfortable but some of us have to have our wineskins restored today. Our wonder has to come back because we've put it in the back of the room. And to be honest, a lot of us, I truly believe a lot of us have been apathetic. We've, we've, we've been just, ugh. God, thank you so much. Lord, I truly believe that what you showed me was said to this body of people. I truly believe it. Lord, I, Lord, you've put me in such a great place. Lord, you have blown my mind. Lord, I have seen you in ways that I wish that I could say in words. But Lord, I am pleading with you. Encounter anyone today that has had their wonder stolen from them. Papa, sweep them up in your arms again. Restore that wonder. Restore that childlikeness. Give some people today to color outside the lines, to see things outside of just ordinary. God, I thank you. And I pray this in your name. Amen.